You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I am Jesper, and this is episode 88 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. So Autumn is taking a break today, uh, trying to get the final pieces of our world-building course recorded. So I've instead invited an awesome guest on, and that is Chris Fox. So Chris used to work with iPhone development, but has since gone on to write and publish over 20 novels. He also writes nonfiction books for authors, much like Autumn and myself. And have spoken, I think, probably all over the U.S. about writing to market and earning a living from writing. So it's a great pleasure to uh, say welcome to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast, Chris. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, that's great. And is there anything important that I left out of that intro there, Chris? <laughs> I tried to collect as much as I could from the internet. <laughs> uh, you, you know, there might be, but I'm not sure how relevant it is to your audience. Uh, I've done a lot of weird things over my career. Probably the most notable odd thing is uh, the app that I wrote was used to scope Stephen Colbert's ear on national TV. So there's an episode that I got to watch on the show where they used my app on it. It's pretty cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. But you, at some point, you then decided, no, I'm, I'm going to do some writing instead of this stuff, I guess. <laughs> well, I always preferred writing. I mean, writing was my, my goal from, from childhood. But we were taught, uh, or at least we were taught in the previous millennium, that you couldn't make a living from your writing. And so I believed it. Yeah. Uh, and I gave it up because I didn't believe I could make a living. And as soon as I realized that I could, I got right back to it. <laughs> yeah. And a good thing that you did, because uh, you're doing well nowadays, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, we. <clears throat> Yeah, we're going to talk about how to run a successful Kickstarter campaign today. But uh, I have to as well admit that I asked you to come on to our podcast, Chris, not only to share your insight with our listeners, but also because I have a personal interest in this topic. Because you see, I've I've actually written both a book on universal rules for how to run a miniature wargaming campaign as well as another guidebook on running a narrative campaign. So that's almost like an RPG rule set like like you have run on Kickstarter. Which uh, So I thought it would be excellent to talk to you about, you know, the Kickstarter campaign, how you did it, what things are good to think about, and uh, hopefully our audience here will get a lot from listening to that as well. Uh, yeah, I'm an open book. So if you have specific questions, I'm happy to to answer them. Or if you want me to give kind of a broad overview of the process, I can start there. Yeah, I th- I do have specific questions, but maybe actually it would be a good place to just to start a bit more general uh, over overview about Kickstarter. Maybe maybe a bit. Of, I don't have any specific questions about the mindset going into running a Kickstarter. So maybe that's something you could uh, touch a bit upon here to start. Sure, I recommend Kickstarter. Um, there are other uh, similar platforms like Indiegogo, but Kickstarter or any similar platform is a great way for you to allow your fans to express appreciation. So we all have super fans if you're releasing novels and anybody are reading them. 
and they're willing to spend a small fortune to support you. They want to see your art succeed. So Kickstarter is the way in which we can do that. I mean, all of your fans are going to pay, you know, your, your $5 or whatever you're charging for your, your latest novel, but many of them would be willing to pay $500 for some special service or autograph book or thing you could do or mention of them in a novel somewhere. Uh, and if you sort of build a Kickstarter around fulfilling your, your super fans' desires, uh, you can walk away with quite a bit of cash. Yeah. And the, the Kickstarter you ran, remind me again, how much funding did you get through that one? Just shy of $30,000. That's pretty damn good because I think your, your goal was far less than that, right? My goal was, I want to say 10. 10. Oh, okay. I, less. <laughs> <What? laughs> I should get it up and look. Let me, let me look. What did I go for? Wasn't it we're, six? I feel like we're already so far past the Kickstarter. Um, we just went live on Drive-Thru RPG yesterday. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm looking to see what our original goal was. $6,000 was the original goal. Right, yeah, yeah. So you, you blew way, way, way past that. Mm -hmm. But I, I remember, I can't remember if it was because I read it somewhere or maybe I heard you talk about it somewhere, but I think I recall you saying something like, that going into it, that it was important for you to have, uh, you know, a mindset that this was more like, you know, if, if it gets funded, great, but it was more like a learning experience. Is that right? Very much so. So if you are counting on Kickstarter as a means of funding an endeavor, that's really risky. And I was fortunately in a position where I didn't have to do that. I could bankroll it myself. So I was testing the market to see if they were interested in what I was producing. But if it flopped, I would have been prepared for that. That would have been a very valuable lesson about how much time and attention do I put into this project if the market's not really interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, I guess it can be a bit difficult to gauge from from the get-go about how much engagement am I, am I going to get here? You know, how, how many people will actually be willing to say, okay, I'm going to support this project, right? Yeah, and Kickstarter is a wonderful weather vane in that way where, you know, if you have a big mail unless you're fortunate enough to have been an author for a little bit and you want to know if they're going to buy something and you ask them, they'll all say yes. But the, you know, mm -hmm. when they actually pony up the money and pay for it, it's a different story. So if you set up a Kickstarter, they're able to put their money where their mouth is. And, and one of the nice things too is if they ever back you or express any interest on one of your Kickstarters, anytime you post a new Kickstarter, they're going to see that too. So if you're a novelist and you're kickstarting your audiobooks, every time a new book comes out in the series, all of the people who backed it or were interested in backing it will, will hear about the next one. Yeah, and I guess as well, if if your Kickstarter fails, as in it doesn't um, you, you doesn't succeed, you don't succeed in reading reaching your goal. I guess you can. You, do you still have access to all the backers there, so you could basically start start over all over again if you want? You do, and, and in fact, what you can do is, um, and I want to say it was Kevin Kevin Tumlinson who mentioned this, um, but I could be wrong. Maybe maybe I'm giving you know, the wrong person credit. Um, but the next day, you can run a second Kickstarter, and you can look at how much money you actually raised and set a modest goal. So if your goal was six thousand and you only got four thousand, you can create a, a Kickstarter the very next day for four thousand dollars and say, "Hey guys, if you all back it again, we can fund it." And uh, in his case, it's exactly what he did, and he funded it. So it was lower than what he initially wanted, um, but he did still get it funded and get the product he was making created. Right. That yeah. That that's smart. That makes good sense. Yeah, because you see, the 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 two books that uh, I mentioned there that I've written, um, the next year or so from now on, and probably a year 
going in now next 12 months we'll do some play testing of the whole thing and do some edits and whatnot that's necessary if we find something but then the thinking is that once we get to perhaps late 2021 that we are looking to run a kickstarter campaign in order to raise enough funding to uh, to basically pay for custom artwork uh, there is a lot of Nice artwork we would like created, but it's not cheap, that stuff, for some it's, reason. It's definitely a huge bottleneck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think maybe to dive in a bit on the actual sort of the page on Kickstarter, what what are some best fundamental practices that you would say when once you, start, once you log into Kickstarter and you're going to set up your first project there or your first campaign, how do you fill in all the different fields that are there? What what should people be thinking about in your view? What's just the most important thing? Well, the first thing you want to do is come at this from a fan's perspective. What would interest you as a fan and, and get you um, to commit to uh, pledging your hard-earned money for something that may not even fund or may not ever deliver after it funds? Uh, and I think that starts with your video because the very first thing that most people do when they come to your Kickstarter page is they watch that video. It's usually three to five minutes long. So recording that video is critical. So it's outside of Kickstarter itself as a platform, but you need a video where you can say, hey, listen, guys, this is what I'm making. This is what I need from you guys. And this is what we'll be able to create if you give us the resources that we need. Uh, and the video that I have really killed it. I mean, people enjoy it. It's only five minutes long, but it showed them exactly what we wanted to create. We, we showcased a lot of our high quality artwork. Um, and then from there, once they've watched the video, they're going to start looking at the rest of the page and you're telling a story. You're telling a, this is what we built. This is how far we've come. And this is, you know, how far we have to go and showing them what they're helping you build. Uh, and then on the right hand side of the page, as they're scrolling down, they're seeing higher and higher levels of pledges. So it'll start with your, you know, low level versions. And then by the time they get to the bottom, they're seeing whatever the most expensive thing that you can offer them is. Uh, and by that point, if they've read all the way down, they've seen your whole story. Those are the type of people who are likely to pledge at that level anyway. Mm, yeah yeah and i think as well when i looked through you it's been a bit uh, a while but i did look through your entire project there on, on kickstarter as well and if i remember correctly you had quite a lot of uh, artwork and different you know pictures of character sheets and stuff like that all the way down through the uh, entire project description isn't that right it is. And, and in my case, the reason for that is I am a gamer. I am my target audience. And I understand that for a game like Dungeons and Dragons, if you're going to pick my interest, you have to do it visually. There has to be three or four things that really hook me in that tell me this universe is going to offer something I haven't seen before. Wow, I've never seen a dragon tearing apart a starship. Um, if you can't show them that and then show them an awesome character sheet, other people can. And that's who we're competing with. Yeah, yeah, and I especially remember myself that uh, once I got to the character sheet, I, I was thinking, oh, this is cool. <laughs> For some reason, we always love the character sheets, don't we? <laughs> yeah, it's such a gamer thing where you want to know, you want to be able to plug all the information in. And, and we have this wonderful paper doll where you can see the power armor that you'll pilot. And there's little boxes that are drawn to each location. So you know what weapons you have where, and what potions are in your potion loaders. It's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think as well, in addition to whatever you posted on Kickstarter, you also recorded a bunch of like complimentary videos where I think both you shared the RPG rules that you created and uh, you mentioned those in the Kickstarter campaign as well, basically pointing people out to YouTube videos and stuff like that. Did you feel like that was worth 
the effort, you know, did, did many people check out those videos uh, or, or how do you feel about that now looking back at it? I'm still releasing videos. I have another one coming out on Friday. Um, I took a bit of a break because I was working on production, but my goal is to have every part of the system covered. And so initially I did all the rules for character creation. So if, if you're not sure exactly how to make a character and you have questions, you can actually go through the videos and it'll tell you how to do everything. Um, I've now added them for various systems. So you can see how the magic system works and how combat works. And I think it helped a lot of people, but they wanted to see real gameplay examples, like live gameplay. And so now we're adding videos using the Roll20 platform, which is a way for you to game online. Um, and that platform is allowing us to demonstrate things. So I can show them how spells work. I can show them how to run combat or how to role play or sort of what you need to do as a game master. Um, and right now, I don't think that we're getting a ton of engagement because it's still a very small channel. If they only have a couple of hundred uh, subscribers, which, you know, contrast that to my writing channel, which is like, you know, 36 or 37,000 people. Um, it's a very small channel for the role-playing game, but I expect over time it'll grow as we release more books. And my goal is less total amount of traffic and more, if some random person finds this in the wild today, do they have literally every resource they can think that they would need in video form to teach them how to play this game? And I just want to make sure they have a complete library. Yeah, so, so you think in, in terms of a long-term view, you, you think it's it's useful with those videos there? Because I, I I know, you know, some years back before we started podcasting, we were doing YouTube videos as well uh, years back. And I know in how much work it goes into the, creating those videos. Even if you're just going to release like a 10-minute video, it, it takes hours of work. So I was getting frustrated at some point back then that, you know, if there wasn't enough views on it, I felt like, okay, why am I spending this much time doing these? But are you saying that you think long-term wise, it is still a good thing, even though you might not right now have too much engagement? Absolutely. So let's say in five years, the Magitech Chronicles, I've already got 10 novels out. By that point, let's say I have 30 novels in the Magitech Chronicles. There are 10 books in the role-playing universe. Um, we have hundreds and hundreds of hours of audio on Audible already. Like what if, you know, that's going to just keep growing. Eventually we're, we're aiming for like a Netflix series. I mean, there's a lot we want to do with this universe this is the backbone that gamers are going to need. And so every time somebody new comes, all of the work that I've put in over the last, you know, X number of years is going to be useful. And, and what really taught me this is the other YouTube channel that I manage, because initially I was, I was like you very driven by how many views am I getting? Am I not getting enough views? Um, and it comes over time. If you just keep producing good content, people will find you and it grows. And so I'm much less concerned about that now. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense for sure. Um, so nowadays you you said it just went live on uh what did you say on august 18th so today's the 19th that we're recording this um it just went live on the 18th and that's just the digital version the paperback will probably be another two weeks uh, and there's a hardback going live at the same time so are you selling them on amazon as well or that remains to be seen. I think that's a great topic for the podcast. Um, if you had asked me that a month ago, the answer would have been no. You can't really sell them in the same way. Now, you could fulfill role-playing game orders, so I could print books and do print-on-demand, but digitally, you couldn't fulfill the order. Uh, then I got an email last week that Amazon was folding Comixology into Kindle Unlimited, so that got me really excited since that's where you read graphic novels, which is effectively what a role-playing book is. Um, and I went and I looked, and sure enough, I'm able to translate my role-playing game into a format that you can now read in Kindle. So if somebody has an iPad or even an iPhone, they can look at the rules and scroll through it and look at some of these pages. So I haven't uploaded it yet, but my goal in the next week is to convert my role-playing game using their, it's called the Comic Creator, 
uh, into a format that I can upload and then start selling it directly on Amazon through Kindle. And as of right now, to my knowledge, there are literally zero role-playing games doing that. So it's, it's sort of that first mover advantage. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I also checked. You know, the if you if you look at like the 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 common like Dungeons and Dragons books and whatnot, you you can of course order all the hardbacks and and that stuff from from Amazon. But indeed, there is no Kindle version available of them. But I guess it's isn't it mostly like a formatting? I mean, it's going to be a nightmare. In in our case, for example, Autumn always format our books, so I'm sure she's going to have a nightmare with with it due to pictures and stuff like that. But Isn't it mostly just a formatting problem? In in I mean, if you tweak and play enough with the formatting, I don't see why you couldn't make a Kindle version. Well, we've never been able to do it in the past because the, the devices themselves weren't capable of really adequately displaying what we were building. Um, but now they took the functionality from the Comixology app, and I think they built it into Kindle. And so what happens is you have these these stops. So let's say you've got four different paragraph headings on a page. If you tap the screen once, it'll auto scroll to the next paragraph. Right. And and so that functionality you have to add manually, and I guess in that sense there's some some formatting, but the software makes it really easy for you to do that. Yeah, nice. Yeah, because a rule book, I, I think uh, RPG rule book in Kindle on Amazon, I think actually it would sell really well because there's not a lot of it. Yeah, there's not a ton of competition, so we're going to see how it does. I should have it live in the next week or two. Um, You know, I already spend uh, between five and twelve thousand dollars a month in advertising, mostly to Kindle Unlimited books. So yeah. uh, I already know the market and know who to advertise to and know who to approach. So if people are interested, I I will see if they'll buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. But the ones who who then supported on Kickstarter, did you give them like a PDF version of the book uh, once they once the campaign was successful, or or how did you do that? We're in the process of that now. So I sent them an initial PDF, like beta versions of the book, and I've been updating it ever since. And then just a couple of days ago, we sent them the very final edition of the PDF so they could, you know, um, finally have it in their hands on it. So they've had a complete game they could play for for a little over a week. Um, there's also an art library, which has most of the artwork that went into the book, uh, as well as, you know, character sheets and other stuff sort of gathered in one location. So they have wallpapers and whatever else they want. Uh, and those have been passed out too. So people have kind of all the stuff they need to play. Um, the majority of our orders though were not digital. They were for the hardback version. Lots and lots of people want that one. And it surprised me how many gamers still play using a hardcover book because I've been using personally an iPad for years. I love having, you know, the 50 books I need for a Rift's game, you know, on one iPad as opposed to carrying a duffel bag like I used to. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Uh, and then, uh, well, you you need to have some sort of fulfillment thing there but is that drive through rpg do, do they take care of that because otherwise you'll be shipping a lot of hard copies yourself which i assume you don't want to do right so um drive through rpg functions very much like amazon and for those that don't know on amazon you're running um through it used to be create space and, and now you can do it directly through kdp you're creating paperbacks and we do nothing so amazon does 100 of the fulfillment and returns we don't have to touch anything they just pay us extra money And it's basically the same thing with DriveThruRPG. Uh, for Kickstarter, you are responsible for your own fulfillment. And so what I recommend is you set up an account with a site called backerkit.com. And what they do is help you manage and fulfill the whole Kickstarter. And also, if you set up like a Stripe account or a PayPal account, they'll take orders. So if you have something like me that you're pre-order selling, they can take pre-orders. Um, they can even allow people to contribute to the Kickstarter after the Kickstarter is ended. 
So what people were doing is like I had one person pay an extra $600 to have the character inserted into a novel. Another one wanted a, a short story written for 400 bucks. So after the Kickstarter had ended, BackerKit allowed me to continue pulling in more funds so that we had a larger pool to purchase artwork. Ah, oh, that, okay. That's very cool. Did you say BackerKit.com? Yes, BackerKit. That's uh, B-A-C-K-E-R-K-I-T.com. Okay, interesting. That's good. I didn't know that one. So that was that was a good one. Um, I know as well that you had some stretch goals on your campaign there. And uh, I wanted to ask you if you if you find the stretch goals important in terms in terms of like enticing people to reach the next level uh, once you have fully funded. Or, and if you do think that, do you have any thoughts about what makes for a good stretch goal? I think they matter a lot, a lot. And I think what makes for a good stretch goal is something that every person who looks at it feels like their involvement matters. So if somebody is looking at your stretch goals and says, I don't care about that one, I don't care about that one, I don't care about that one, that's not a good sign. You want every one of the stretch goals to be something like, oh, I'd really like to have that. So in the case of an RPG, if you can say, we're going to add two more classes, you know, there are classes that wouldn't be in the book otherwise, but you're going to unlock X class and Y class that are going to be in the book if you hit this level. Every player of the game wants that extra content. So when you are crafting your rewards, just make sure that they're relevant to all all backers. I, I think you also want to make sure yeah. that, that they and, are and I guess, achievable in the sense that... Go ahead. No, 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 just continue. I'll ask afterwards. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, um, <laughs> I think they need to be achievable. So you want to make sure that when you are doing these rewards, that the things that you're agreeing to create for your fans aren't going to cost you a bunch of extra money. I've seen this on a few Kickstarters where, you know, if we hit this goal, I'm going to make this thing that costs more than the extra stretch goal. Uh, so you want to be careful. I'm, I, I <laughs> have, have crafted all of my rewards in such a way that it's not going to cost us a lot of extra money to add it. No, yeah, that, that uh, that's it goes along with the, it's the same thing about the fulfillment stuff, right? You you need to be careful about those things so that you don't set yourself up. Uh, I mean, if you're going in blind, I, I guess people, some people have at least I have heard horror stories of people setting up stuff where they basically were intending, yeah, I'm just going to ship this stuff out myself. And they ended up paying more in shipping than, than they actually funded in, in, in Kickstarter, right? So <laughs> the whole point is out the window. <laughs> yeah, and, and I really uh, was cognizant of that when I set it up. So for example, the delivery for the role-playing game, if you're getting either the hardback or the paperback, is going to be through RPG, and they print in the United States and in the UK. And so the backers are going to be responsible for their own shipping. I don't have to pay anything. It'll be, you know, the whole transaction will be handled directly through the site. All I do is send them a code. They plug in the code. So the book itself is considered free. You know, I've already paid for this code. Uh, and then they just pay their own shipping and it gets sent out to them. And that fulfillment should be really easy for me to do. It's part of why I chose to do it this way. Yeah. Because I assume you could also have set up something, you know, if you wanted, you could have, uh, I, I know we just talked about the Kindle edition, right? But I assume you could have set it up via Amazon as well, couldn't you? And just put in the paperback there or something like that. Or right, and I thought back I, it's an option. Mm -hmm. and, and if you yeah. really um, are selling a lot of copies, you can actually start running stock and, and getting cheaper prices by printing larger orders. So it, it's certainly an option if you're Dungeons and Dragons that you, you want to run your own warehouse and be selling through Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think some of what you said about stretch goals, I assume that also applies to how you decided to set up your tiers, meaning that 
you probably had some <laughs> thorough thinking <laughs> about what to put into those tiers so that it would be interesting for people to uh, to sign up but but how did you how did you go through the what was your sort of thought process there in terms of both deciding what is the reward for each tier but also how much money to ask on each of the tiers I looked at how much time it was going to take me to write the material, how much artwork I would need to acquire to deliver on the stuff I was saying I was creating. Uh, and then I set tiers accordingly. So this is stuff that I already wanted to build in the future anyway. It just meant we'd have to accelerate our timeline a little bit. Um, and I just made sure to ask for enough money that I'd be able to pay for the additional artwork. Right. Did you also think about you know making sure that these tiers are something that gets progressively more and more interesting as you move down or or was it more just purely like you say you know about how much time am i going to spend on creating each one and then the the, the time consuming ones are just more expensive because I'm, i'm just thinking if there was a way to you know entice people to sign up for maybe the the slightly higher tier rather than just the lowest ones Right. And I think that I could have done a better job. So that'd be the first thing I would say. This being my first Kickstarter, I had a general idea of what I was trying to do. But now that I've run it, I would give a better and a little bit different stretch goal reward structure. And I would have a lot more purchasable rewards in the Kickstarter that offer different things. So as an example, um, I would offer autographed copies of various novels. They have nothing at all to do with the role-playing game, but these are people that like the universe And I could allow them to buy a complete set of the, the main series novels or seven of them autographed. And, and, you know, I could charge 500 bucks and write them a special message. And I'm willing to bet I could probably sell 10 of those easily um, because people would love to have that autograph set on their, their shelf because, you know, it'd be numbered and signed and, and you, you know, you show them, Hey, no one else in the world, but the 10 people who get this are going to have access to it. Um, and, and you can give that to your fans. So I could have done a lot more of that than I did. I didn't create enough avenues for them to express their support. Um, and I'm going to, on the next Kickstarter, which we're going to be running probably in um, late October or early November. Okay, yeah. Do you think you can have too many tiers? Uh, yes. And so the, the reason why um, you don't list them all necessarily right off the bat is it feels impossible to hit some of the, the higher tiers. So what I'll do is I'll have them all written down, but I'll only post like maybe the next two or three that are currently relevant to fans. So they're only seeing, say you've got five to find, they're only seeing three of them. So how does that work? Um, well, you can update the description on your Kickstarter at any time. So if you were to say with your stretch goals, I've got a fifteen, twenty, and twenty-five thousand dollar one. When your Kickstarter hits twenty thousand, then you add a thirty and a forty. Right. Okay. So so in addition to stretch goals, basically. Well, no, those are as stretch goals. Like you can keep redefining stretch goals whenever you want. So you, when you have stretch goals, you don't have to say on day one, here's every stretch goal I'm ever going to add. You can have none of them. And then throughout the Kickstarter, you can just keep adding stretch goals on any given day. Just update your description and here's a new stretch goal. So what I'll do is only list the ones that are easily achievable. We're about to hit them. And, and it looks like we can do. And then the ones that would be really expensive. So like I'm not going to put a $40,000 stretch goal when we only have $5,000 in backing. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was thinking to move into a bit of the marketing stuff as well, because one thing is setting up the Kickstarter and think about all these best practices and 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 all the important elements that that you just have mentioned here through through the episode so far. But the other thing is, unless we can get people to that Kickstarter page and get them excited about it, then the whole thing 
won't really fly very far. <laughs> so in terms of marketing your Kickstarter campaign, I know that you said at some point that you were contacting other authors and so on to basically increase your outreach there. But I was wondering, were these like authors you knew them all already or were you like cold pitching some authors or, or how did you do that? These were all people that owed me a favor. So in no instance did I cold email someone and say, hey, can you share this with your audience? Um, I was basically just calling in favors. I think it's a huge, huge ask to ask somebody to send anything to their list on your behalf. And so I'm very, very careful about when I ask. So I had spent a couple of years building up favors before I cashed that in. Right, right, right. Yeah. Because I would think as well, we also recently saw Brandon Sanderson have massive success on, on a Kickstarter campaign with a, like a limited edition or whatever it was of, of one of his books there. And I think with Kickstarter, and it's the same thing with Patreon and these kind of things, unless you have the audience there, it, it becomes very, very difficult to market it very effective. I mean, if you're starting from zero, let's say you have You have uh, your grandmother and <laughs> and your cousin on your email list, right? I mean, it, it's going. I think it's going to be extremely difficult to build up very much momentum on a Kickstarter project. But what are your well, thoughts? Well, that's on that? not who Kickstarter is for. Yeah, I agree. Kickstarter is not for you to say, okay, I want to build a business and I don't have any money, so I'm going to go make a Kickstarter page and people are going to give me a bunch of money. That's not going to happen. You really need a working product. And this is what Kickstarter expects. You basically need a prototype. You need to be ready to go with something before you start asking for more money. So what you need to do is build up a following first. If you have no following right off the bat, Kickstarter will be useless for you. You need to come in with, I've got an email list and I've been working with fans and they know what I'm building and maybe I have support from other areas. So it's, it's sort of the culmination of that. And to that end, I would spend more time as a new creator working on the stuff I'm creating and on networking with other creators than I would worrying about crowdfunding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes sense because it, it's, this, it's the same thing with Patreon and so forth. You know, it, just because you release some YouTube videos, no, nobody's going to sign up for Patreon and offer support unless you build a uh, you build that long term like trust and 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 like factor there uh, that, that that they enjoy the content that you're putting out and they know that as well of course that they can trust the fact that uh, you will complete whatever you say that they can be backing on Kickstarter and and they will get their stuff in in hand as well at at some later date right yeah that, that's the the big fear I think for a lot of them is the are you actually going to ever finish this and deliver. Because as you walk away, they don't really have a lot of recourse. By the time they figure out uh, that they got burned, usually it's too late for them to refund or they don't really want to bother with it. So they count, um, most people I know, as lost money if they back something that isn't fun. So it, it's kind of a roll of the dice on a lot of the Kickstarters that we back don't go anywhere. So it, it is, I, I do have to say, really, really nice to know that I'm living up to what I said I would do. We have a complete game. We're delivering exactly what we promised we would give fans. And Um, I think if you can't do that, you're never going to be able to run another successful Kickstarter because, you know, the whole no. fool me once thing. Yeah, I think you're 100% right there. But I, I assume the Kickstarter is sort of governing a bit as well that the, you know, if, if the product is not delivered, then don't Kickstarter make sure to refund people their money or send it back to, don't they like have the money sitting in a holding pot that they control or something? Not really. Um, so what happens is they release the funds to you. So after the Kickstarter is done and all credit cards are processed, uh, you've now got the money. If they file a dispute with Kickstarter, uh, I think they can pursue you for a refund and get that money back. 
But very few people do that. Most people have just, you know, sort of eaten the cost and hope that it would get funded. So theoretically, I do believe every person who backed you could go to, to Kickstarter and say, hey, listen, I want my money back. They burned me and it was a scam. And that Kickstarter would, you know, prosecute the heck out of you. Um, their team seems to take that very seriously. Uh, yeah. They were going to work with in that regard where they, you know, if they saw anything was at all fishy, they would point it out. Yeah, and I guess if it does not fund successfully, doesn't don't they just send people back, or maybe they don't even charge people money then, or what? Right. No one gets charged at all. So if you try to fund, you get to nine thousand out of ten thousand. No one's credit card will ever be charged. Right. Right. Okay. That's easy then. Yeah. Okay, but maybe getting back for a moment to to those authors that you were casting in favors from. Um, I think I saw at some point that you talked about that you were reaching out to a few a day or something like that. Um, and I was wondering a bit about, because when you said that, I, I could understand it from the uh, like workload perspective, you know, that you're sort of spreading it out and you don't have to do too much every day and can take care of all your writing and other parts of your business, which makes completely sense. But I was wondering a bit about how that timing worked out for you, you know, here in hindsight, uh, in the sense that, you have a Kickstarter, which is only open in this window here uh, from date X to date Y. And if you, at least the way I understood it, maybe I misunderstood and then you can correct me, but the way I understood it was that throughout that period of time, you were reaching out to a couple of people a day. But do you think in hindsight, if I'm, if my understanding is, is incorrect, then, then correct me. But if that's correct, then do you think in hindsight, you would still do it that way or do you think it would be better to reach out and email all those people or contact all those people in advance of the start date even so that they know that okay in two weeks from now i would like you to do this rather than here's an email can you please do this now because the kickstarter ends in two weeks you know something like that do you do you get what i'm saying i do and it depends on how much social capital you want to burn So the more you ask of these people and the more you say, okay, on this specific day, I need you to, to launch my pre-order or like announce my pre-order or in my case, talk about this Kickstarter, the more of that you ask, the less you're going to be able to ask later. If you send a single email and you say, hey, listen, if it aligns with your audience, anytime in the next 30 days, if you could announce this, that'd be great. And you just leave it at that. If they can't do anything, you haven't really burned any social capital. If they do do something for you, great, it helped. The vast majority of what I did to promote my Kickstarter wasn't going out and asking other authors. It was it was telling my own audience, and those were the people that really were driving it. Uh, I don't think I got a ton of momentum from having other authors announce it. And about 50% of the people in the video that you're referring to where I, I said I was going to go um, talk to these authors, I didn't even actually message. I, I decided, you know what, I, I don't think... Um, this is a good thing for me to ask for some of those authors. Like They probably would have done it because they owed me some favors, but... I wouldn't have gotten very, very many sales because I'm asking science fiction authors to sell role-playing games. And that doesn't make sense unless they have role-playing game audiences. No. So maybe, you know, like you, well, if you know them, of course, but like YouTube channels that are focusing on role-playing games, for example, or uh, podcasts focused on, focusing on role-playing games, those kind of people will, they will of course have an audience who are interesting in the topic at hand. Uh, so do yes, you think it would be, I think it's an amazing way for you to get uh, publicity. Those are the people you want to spend your time contacting, uh, send them a free version of your game or a copy of your novel, if that's more relevant. And then, you know, reach out to them and say, Hey, listen, and this is always how I phrase it. 
this is how your podcast and your audience will benefit from having me on as a guest. This is what I offer you. This is why it's beneficial to you. So not from the perspective of I'm an author, I want to sell role-playing games and books, but I think I can deliver some good content to um, to an audience for a podcast and you're more likely to be accepted. And that's a good use of your time, in my opinion, for marketing. Yeah, yeah. I guess the, the trick then becomes to make sure that that you can have those episodes go live while people can still support the Kickstarter. But, but that's probably a different conversation. Then. <laughs> that that is an issue. That is an issue. Oftentimes, though, you can get um, people to share uh, that stuff fairly far in advance. One of the things that I did as a mistake is I didn't set up a pre-order for the Kickstarter. So for those that don't know what I learned afterwards is you can set up a Kickstarter before it's set to go live. So if I don't intend it to go live until November 1st, I can build it today and I can put it up there and people can see it so that my followers know it's going to start way, way before I actually start it. And I would have done that. If you do that and you start going on some podcasts, then if it takes them a while to get the episode out, it's still before the end of the Kickstarter. So I think yeah. it matters a lot and I could have done a better job with that. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And I, I think you mentioned as well, Chris, that you were doing some kind of paid advertising as, as well. well. What did you do there? Not a ton, but I did do a little bit. So what I did, and I'm actually doing some more right now, is I, I thought about areas where I as a gamer would want to see this. Like if you were building a role-playing game, where would I care to see it where I wouldn't consider it to be spam? And uh, for me, that was Facebook, Reddit, um, and, and really Amazon are the only three locations I could think of where if I was scrolling through my feed and I saw this cool role-playing game and it was sponsored, I'd probably still buy it. So I ran like, I don't know, $40 a day in ads to um, Reddit and maybe slightly higher to Facebook and, and tried to drive some signups for the Quick Start Guide and then also uh, now selling the book. Right, so you were offering them, well, you I guess you were pointing them towards the Kickstarter then, right? Initially, yes. In So I just showed them the Kickstarter page, which, you know, almost sells itself. It's it's great to have one page where they can pledge that has all of your marketing material, all of your images, um, even the video. So, yeah, that was the primary place I was driving people. Yeah. And the, I guess the thing that I'm a bit curious about here is because I, I fully get all the, you know, the uh, the... You have all the sales copy, basically, if we can call it that, on the Kickstarter page. So So that makes sense. But I'm curious as to... How did you entice, for example, let's let's take Facebook ads for as an example here. So, of course, it's a lot about targeting role playing people who are interesting in role playing or, or whatnot. But I'm just struggling a bit to, and this is what I'm curious about to to understand if. I, for example, myself, if I just take myself as an example, I see something popping up in my feed. It's an ad for some sort of Kickstarter thing. Then, of course, I already know before I click on it, this is somebody who, which I'm, I, you know, they're asking for money for it, obviously. Um, and if I don't know the person already, I'm just struggling to whether or not I would actually click on it. Uh, but and that's why I'm, I'm I'm a bit curious about how you how you targeted that and how did you get people to actually because if they arrive at the Kickstarter page and you have all that good stuff there you have the videos you have the nice artwork and all that then I'm pretty sure people will get interested but how do you get them to go there how did did you did you find like a good formula for what enticed people to click on the ad. Well, that, that makes for a good advertiser. So we're talking really about psychology and, and reaching people and understanding what benefits and emotional triggers are going to get them to act. Um, but you can boil it down simply and take all the marketing speak away and say, what interests your audience? Like if you're showing them exactly what they're interested in, they're going to click on it. So let me give you an example. 
I want a super amazing gaming table. We're talking like a several thousand dollar table that is a super specialty item that most people will never order. Uh, and I started mentioning this uh, to my friends that I was thinking about getting a custom made ta- table. And before I knew it, ads started showing up on Facebook, showing <laughs> amazing tables that were exactly what I was looking for. I don't care who's making them. I don't care what the company is. I don't care anything about them initially. I care about the table. So I click on the ad because I want to see this table. Can they build what it is that I want? And it's the same for a role-playing game. If you've been playing Pathfinder for the last five years and your group is just burned out on Pathfinder and you just are so sick of fantasy, and so you suggest, okay, like let's play Shadowrun, and people are like, well, no, I don't really want to do that. And so you're looking for a new game and you see mine and it happens to look like it'll it'll scratch the itch after it's some new world that you can sink your teeth into um, it's the value proposition gamers want to be able to understand the nuts and bolts of how a universe works and if i can give you a new universe with good rules and good artwork and a good concept and you're excited about the character types that you might play and then on top of that you find out that there's novels available for it then that's that's a, an easy sell so back in my youth um shadowrun battletech Forgotten Realms, uh, Dragonlance. These were the series that you got into as role-playing games because they had dozens of novels that you could read to further your understanding. So you just sort of come up with a overall value proposition, show people, hey, listen, this universe is going to be worth your time if you invest in it, and then they get a lot more interested. Uh, and, and that starts with the image that you're choosing that they're initially going to click on. It's got to interest them. It's got to be some sort of deep symbol that they understand you know maybe they love dragons in their use and so if they see a dragon tearing apart a starship that's going to get them to slow down and actually look at it yeah <laughs> and dragons in space that that's always cool <laughs> <laughs> but was there any type of promotion that you would like to have done uh, chris but for whatever reason you didn't Yeah, um, I would have done the, the podcast tour. So I have a, a good friend of mine who knows a lot about Kickstarter, and he said that if you had come into this with six months of lead time, it easily could have been a six-figure Kickstarter. Um, what I needed to do is get it up as soon as possible and start going on larger podcasts and start running more game sessions and showing more of what I had. Um, and so when I run the second Kickstarter, we're going to test that stuff, and I'm going to try going on much larger uh, productions. And you know, we'll be playing a lot more Roll Twenty games and having a lot more videos available, and you know, a lot more extra stuff. And hopefully, we can we can sort of um, hit a critical mass and, and get a lot more people interested. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But I think uh, I want to say thank you so much for joining us uh, today, Chris, and uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge and your experience with uh, with such kindness as you as you've done here. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. If people want to learn more about you, where should they go, Chris? Uh, ChrisFoxWrites.com is probably the best central hub. If you are into videos that have um, information on how to be a writer, how to market, how to write, um, uh, youtube.com slash ChrisFoxWrites. If you like fiction, I would check out the MagitechChronicles.com and you can see my role-playing game and the associated novels. All right. Thank you so much. All right, next Monday, Autumn will be back and uh, we are, have a very interesting episode prepared for you, sharing our results on losing three nonfiction books here in 2020. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcast and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on Patreon.com slash Am Writing Fantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, 
You'll get awesome rewards and keep the M Writing Fantasy Podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday.